Acts chapter 17, I'll be in verse 16 through 21, and when I conclude the reading of the text, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, amen. When you get to verse 16 in Acts chapter 17, look up at me and say, he is alive. All right, beginning in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're in our final week of the series Resurrecting Relationships, and just by way of preface, we'll have a couple standalone weeks, and then um, for a good portion of this summer, we're going to begin a series called um, The Psalms. And what we're going to be looking at in the Psalms is particularly how they are filled with human emotion. And so sort of the tagline for the series as we go through the book of Psalms is learning to express our emotions biblically. And I know none of you have a problem with your emotions or expressing any of those things like that. So the series will just be for me. And so, but it's going to be a, a really fun time looking at the Psalms and kind of walking through um, just this ancient, really, hymn book of what it is. And so we are finishing up the series called Resurrecting Relationships. And we've been working with the tagline that there is no relationship so dead that it cannot be resurrected. And I tell you what, we have been um, hearing just as a staff, just the feedback from this series, looking at the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we looked at, obviously, the first and foremost relationship uh, that is the most important. That's our relationship with God. And we looked at how the resurrection of Jesus renews that relationship. And then we looked at the relationship with each other and learned this idea of forgiveness and that forgiveness could only come because sin has been paid for and Jesus has been resurrected. We looked at the relationship between man and wife and work and all of these things. And today, we're looking at this idea of resurrecting the relationship with culture. And, and maybe just by way of introduction, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been outside of the country, outside of the, of the U.S.? Wow, a fair amount of you. Awesome. Very cool. I've only been to Canada which is kind of like anticlimactic, you know, like I guess it's out of the country, you know. Their milk comes in bags, which is kind of like it comes to the door and comes in bags. They say eh a lot, and so that was just the most exciting thing about Canada, really. Um, I bought a Game Boy there when I was a kid, and it was a lot cheaper, you know, so that was exciting. But whenever you leave the country and, and go to another country, some, some of you have, have been places where maybe, you know, driving on, on the opposite side of the road, um, you, you ate different types of food. People spoke differently, possibly in a different language even. And, and, and you saw the way that they lived in a different country. And there's actually a, a, a sociological term for that. And it's called culture. What, what you experienced when you were in that different country was that country's culture. 
And the Oxford English Dictionary, which is sort of the prime for the English language, defines culture as this. Culture is the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. So when you left this country that had a particular idea and a way of life and went to a different country, you encountered a different culture. Now, the reason why I say all of that is because as us, as believers in Jesus Christ, we sort of live in a tension, a conundrum, if you will. For we live in a place that has its own culture, but we are also citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And when you think about it, if Jesus is king and if he is Lord and you look at his teaching and his way of life, just take the Beatitudes, if you will. It's one of the best sermons um, ever preached because it was preached by God, so it wins, okay? And, and Jesus' Beatitudes, he says things like, blessed are the humble, for they'll actually win out in the end. Blessed are the poor, for they're actually rich. So, the Beatitudes are almost like uh, the, the inaugural address, if you will, as this king initiates his kingdom. For there is a kingdom culture that we as believers live in. But when it comes to culture, I really think that there are four major mindsets when it comes to those of us who are believers in the way that we view culture. And this will probably offend everybody in the room, so just get ready. I love this kind of stuff. And so the the first view of culture really is to separate. We separate from culture. All culture is bad, so therefore we need to separate from it. And we have the idea that if people want to know about Jesus, and if people want to know about the church, then by God our doors are open on Sunday morning and they better come see us. Right? And it's this idea that, that we separate completely from culture. So, you know, you know some, some avenues of faith from monasteries and all of these type of things completely separate from culture and have an idea that if you want to learn about this, then you need to come to us for we are completely separated from you. Which is not actually what Jesus taught. Because when Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, God, I pray that you do not take them out of the world. So some views are to separate completely from culture. And then the next view is this, to obliterate culture. Right? This is the kill them all mindset. Right? That all culture is bad. That all music, all movies, all books, all of these type of things. Harry Potter is witchcraft. We are not reading any. Right? I'm getting at you fundamentalists today. You guys are kind of nervous. Okay? Right? So all of these things are bad. And if that's bad, then so is Snow White and the Seven Doors. For mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest? That's witchcraft too. Anyway, that's a side trail. You just got a little bit nervous. So it's this idea to obliterate culture. So we're going to make picket signs. We're going to yell at people. We love Jesus, but we're mad about it. Okay? Like we love Jesus and he saved us, but we're pretty mad. So we're going to obliterate this idea of culture and do away with all of this. But again... We don't see that in the scriptures. And then the third view is to saturate in culture. So it's either to separate, to obliterate, or to saturate in culture. And this is where the church has somehow got the idea of like, oh no, the gospel is offensive and Jesus calls people to repentance. So what we're going to do is we're not going to talk about the tough stuff. And we just, we don't want to offend the world. And so we just want to blend in, bro. 
like peace, love, and Jesus is like the lost member of the Beach Boys, right? Like he's just like this white dude with long flowing hair who never did any offense except for the fact that he was crucified. And you don't crucify a nice guy, you crucify a threat. And so it's this idea, it's almost like a steak because what do you do with the good steak when you cook it? You, you marinate it. And you set that steak in, in that dressing and then that steak takes on the flavor of that. But we see that that's not what the church is called to do. It's not called to separate, to obliterate, or to saturate. The church and disciples are called to infiltrate the culture. Ah, infiltrate. This is a military term. This is completely different. And we understand this in our theology at Christmas time. For what do we celebrate at Christmas? The incarnation of Jesus Christ. We see that God did not say, I'm going to obliterate this place. This is done. I mean, they just don't get it. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you know what? They need to come to me. If they want salvation and if they want to find a way and if they want to understand what hope and peace and love is, then they need to make their way to me. He didn't do that. And he didn't come into the culture so much that you couldn't tell Jesus apart from Buddha or Muhammad. But yet he infiltrated the culture that God became man. And infiltrate the culture is the idea that you have an allegiance to another kingdom and another way of life, but yet you were inside the world's culture. And the Bible speaks of this anytime that it talks about the world in a general. It, it talks about literally the economy, the way that the world functions and works. And like, just think about Jesus' teaching. Like, you're not going to make it up the CEO ladder by obeying the Beatitudes, Right? like being humble, <laughs> these type of things. And so we understand that Christians are to infiltrate the culture, which leads us to our text today in Acts chapter 17. Now, I have to follow up. The book of Acts is, is, a pre, is, is, is sort of a continuation of Luke's gospel. Luke wrote an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. And he writes it to this really rich dude who basically funds Luke's journey and says, you know what, is all this stuff about Jesus really true? Okay, then I'm going to pay you to be an investigative journalist and you're going to go around and interview all of the eyewitnesses. And Luke does this. And you can come to your own conclusion by reading the Gospel of Luke. But Luke continues with the book of Acts. And the book of Acts shows literally how Christianity exploded onto the scene there in Rome. And in our scene today... We have the Apostle Paul, who actually before hated Christians and actually persecuted Christians until he got knocked off his high horse, literally, by Jesus Christ. That's actually where the phrase comes from, get knocked off your high horse. And so the Apostle Paul gets so ignited, just like the song that we sung, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it goes forth and literally explodes in the Roman environment. And we see the the theme that we're understanding of resurrecting relationships in verse 18. Look at verse 18. There at the very end. He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, they said, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I love the Apostle Paul, right? So our tagline here at Westside is it's all about Jesus. I think the Apostle Paul would appreciate that, you know? Because any chance that he got, it was all about Jesus, and it was about the resurrection. Now, where Paul is at is very important for us to understand in our passage. Context is king. 
And so Paul is in Athens. And this is a picture of what Athens would have looked like in the days of Paul. Athens was literally the center of all the culture that was taking place. This is where philosophers would have been. I mean, it was the Harvard, it was the Yale, it was the iPhone being invented. I mean, this is where Athens was. This was the social scene. And Paul is at the Aragopagus, which means it's at the center where all the philosophers and everybody is debating. This is where the most brilliant minds would have been. And he's on a missionary journey with some of his boys, and he's waiting for them to arrive. Like, you just picture that he's like ordered a Starbucks, and he's just sort of sitting around waiting for these guys to come. And as he comes, he observes and looks around at the culture that is Athens. Now, I cannot stress the importance of what Athens was. This is a modern-day picture of what Athens would look like today, which is um, Manhattan on New Year's. I mean, I mean, literally, this is what have been the equivalent of what the Apostle Paul was seeing. It has been said by some philosophers that it was easier to find an idol in Athens than a man. Because there were so many foreign divinities, and it was an intersection of roads where cultures met. So what we're going to do is look in this passage and understand our basis as the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what we're supposed to do with this culture that you and I live in. Because we live in a culture. You have a work culture. There are a particular set of beliefs and ideas and practices at your work, in your family, and at your home, all around you while you're at Hux and you've got your big gulp and you're paying for your gas, okay? There is a culture all around you. So what are we supposed to do with the idea of infiltrating the culture and the resurrection being our basis? Well, the very first thing is obvious. The first thing that we do to culture is we see it. We see it. You say, really, Jason? You get paid to do this? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because look in verse 16. It all comes from the text. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. The word he saw, there's one word in the Greek, and it's the word theatro, which is where we get our word to theorize or the word theater, to theorize. How do you theorize something? You have to ponder it. You have to consider it. You have to think about it. When you go to a theater, you sit and you watch intently everything that is happening and taking place. So just picture the Apostle Paul, a brilliant mind, probably spoke about four languages, wrote 13 of the books within the New Testament. I mean, this guy can go toe-to-toe with anybody. And he's sitting there, sort of like you do when your wife shopping at the mall. And around here in southeast Missouri, we call it people watching, Right? The Apostle Paul is just sitting around people watching, right? Watching those kids with those, those fidget spinner things, right? He's just sitting around observing the culture. But he's not just observing it. He is seeing this culture. And he's seeing it with different eyes. He's seeing it unlike anybody else that's around him. We actually see this word again in the New Testament. And we see it in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus teaches about a woman who had given money. And, 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 and it says this words, and he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And this little old lady comes up and she puts in just like a half penny. And Jesus teaches a lesson that 
that she gave more than anybody because she gave out of sacrifice. But Jesus watched and observed. Jesus himself was a people watcher, right? But it's to watch and to see them. To see them. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. There's a TV show that um, my wife and myself watch, and it's by far the best TV show on TV. I will not debate this. Thus saith the Lord, it is Sherlock Holmes, okay? It is the BBC version, and it is incredible. And when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was writing about 221 Baker Street, he was thinking about Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm telling you, this guy is incredible. But on the very first episode, when Sir John Watson meets Sherlock Holmes' brother, Minecraft, who's actually smarter sometimes than Sherlock, he meets him, and Minecraft tells him to be careful with Sherlock. And Watson says, why? I've been walking the streets of London with Sherlock for weeks now. And Minecraft says these words in the episode. Most people blunder around this city and all they see are streets and shops and cars. But when you walk the streets with Sherlock Holmes, you see the battlefield. Yes, British television at its finest. You see the battlefield. What was it like to walk with Jesus through those streets in Rome? People just saw poor peasants. But Jesus saw a woman with an issue of blood, and even when she touched her, he, he saw her. Listen, here's, here's what I want you to understand. In order to love like Jesus loves, we have to first see like Jesus sees. C.S. Lewis says, you don't meet just a mere human being every day for every person that you encounter is made in the image and the likeness of God. The Apostle Paul didn't just see the culture. The Apostle Paul saw the culture. He saw the battlefield. He saw all of these idols that everyone was worshiping. And you say, well, Jason, this is 2017. We're scientific and I have an iPhone now. We are so much more advanced. We don't have idols. Yeah, what's that one television show where they sing and they get famous? American. Mm, Yeah, we're so much different in 2017. Our culture is just the same for we were made to worship. I mean, literally grown men in Green Bay take their shirts off and paint their chest. I mean, come on, right? We worship, and the Apostle Paul saw the culture. But we don't just see the culture, we also feel it. We feel it. And that's again there in verse 16. Now, while he was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. The word provoked is very strong. The word provoked literally means a seizure. (laughs) Like the Apostle Paul was standing around and was so provoked at what he saw that it was just a rage of emotions. And a New Testament scholar, John Stott, says, the reason we cannot speak the way the, the Apostle Paul speaks is that we cannot see the way the Apostle Paul sees. And the reason we cannot see what the Apostle Paul sees is we do not feel what the Apostle Paul feels. When he saw all of this idol worship, And he saw people created for a purpose, living their life, the antithesis of the way that they were created. But this word is very interesting. For we see it again in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
And we see God saying this to the people of Israel in the book of Isaiah. And he's been talking about how he's been chasing them, how how a groom chases a bride, but how they've been faithless. And God says these words, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on the bricks. And, and, and all through the Old Testament, we see God saying, for I am a jealous God. There's been a lot of people who've had a problem with that, like Oprah Winfrey, for example. She said openly, one of the reasons why I don't like the God of Christianity because he seems to have an ego complex because he's a jealous God. But if you understand what jealousy is, jealousy is a lover's language. Because you can only be jealous of something if you love that something so much. You can only be jealous of your spouse if your spouse sets their love on something different other than you. And what God is saying is that you are my people, that you were created in my image and likeness, and I stretch out my hands all the day long to a people who are spiritually adulterous and who run after all types of different things. And this, this type of thing provokes me. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should feel the same indignation that the Apostle Paul felt because we are lovers of God. And, to, and, and, and so to see the creation literally worshiping something other than God that we should be provoked. Listen to me, this is, 2017 is not a time to ditch the Bible, man. 2017 is a time to stand with the apostles and to stand with the prophets and to stand with Jeremiah, as he says in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 11, for I am full of the anger of the Lord and I am weary of holding this in. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 11, he says, when I do not speak his name and when I do not speak his word his word is like a fire in my bones and I cannot hold it in for I have to speak his name that is what we should feel listen when you see the abortion rates rise and the poverty level rise and another broken marriage I mean I'm tired of going to funerals are you tired of going to funerals you should be provoked by this type of culture and you should feel this type of indignation and it's not hate Because the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And I have to ask you, do you feel anything? For Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would I not gather you like a mother chick gathers her babies? But you would not have me. Does it do anything to you when you turn on the news and you see... Listen, just this past weekend, there were around 30 Coptic Christians that were killed over in the Middle East. Babies for bearing the name of Christ. What does that do to you? Do you just flip on so you think you can dance after that? Or does your heart not weep and break at the culture? And are we not a people that are provoked like the Apostle Paul is provoked? Maybe the church is not what it is today like it is in the book of Acts because we are just apathetic. Because we are just comfortable. As believers, we bear the burden of seeing the brokenness that is culture. We see it through the lens of the resurrection, and we feel this brokenness that is in the world, but that provokes us to do something, and it's to challenge it. We challenge the culture. 
Now, I choose the word challenge and not the word attack. And again, we're talking about ideas and values, not people. Listen to me. Dear Christian, look up here. Do not attack people. Our call to worship today was that you would love one another. And people look at the church and see more division in the church than they do anywhere else. And some of you have kids that are maybe in college right now or something, and they're holding different ideas and values. Listen, you challenge their ideas. You don't challenge them as a person. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't attack them. How are we supposed to do this? Well, we see what the Apostle Paul did here in the text. The first way that we challenge it is we challenge it reasonably. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day. The word reasoned there is dialogue. That the Apostle Paul had a conversation. And we see later on in the passage that he knew their culture so well that he quotes some of their own philosophers. Right? So it's like, imagine the Apostle Paul at Woodstock, and he stands up, and he's like, yo, I know Bob Dylan just said, but I, I mean, like, he knows their culture. He reasons and dialogues with them. How much more different would Christianity look if we had conversation over coffee rather than arguing over a Facebook status? Is it too early for the 9 a.m. for that? Do we need to wait for the 11? that... How much differently would it look um, if you actually befriended someone from the homosexual community? How much differently would it look if you befriended someone and spent time with someone who had a different set of values, ideas, and priorities than you? And you reasoned. You had a conversation. You talked. And listen, the best way to learn is to ask questions. And we need more Christians asking questions and less Christians making statements. Because when you ask questions, you're learning. Isn't this how Jesus always answered, right? The Pharisees would always try to get him in like a Bible trivia jam, right? And then Jesus would go, but what do you say? Well, what do you say about Moses? And they would always be like, Uh, We'll be back in 15 minutes, right? I mean, like, he always reasoned and had a conversation with him. And yes, there is a time to proclaim because, look, he reasoned in the synagogue and the Jews in the marketplace and the devout persons. And then drop down and look at, at the end of verse 18. What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Yes, there are times to which we stand on the mountaintops and say, thus saith the Lord. We will not compromise on this because God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there are appropriate times for that. So we reasonably challenge the culture. And the second way that we do that is this. We specifically challenge the culture. Look in the text. Look at how the Apostle Paul moved. I mean, this guy is like a Jesus ninja. Look at verse 17. So he reasoned, number one, in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and then, and in the marketplace every day. Do you know how different those two environments are? Number one, I love it because the Apostle Paul went to church and preached the gospel. He went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Then he went into the marketplace, which was the hustle-bustle, blue-collar community, and he spoke to them. And then he went to the Aragopagus and spoke with all the philosophers. Like, I love this guy. You put him anywhere, and he's just going to constantly challenge the culture. But what do we learn from this? It means this. Know who you're speaking to. 
Like I'm sure the Apostle Paul's language was quite different when he was in the synagogue than it was when he was in the marketplace. I'm sure in the synagogue he was doing like Bible sword trivia drills, right? Turn to the book of Jeremiah. Like he was doing all of that type of stuff. And then when he was in the marketplace, he was probably using more common everyday language, which is very important for us when we understand that we infiltrate the culture. That you as a believer, that when you go to work, you should probably not be like, you know, when they're like, well, how was Sunday? It was great in the Lord. The Lord just sanctified me. Because your coworker is going to go, you guys do drugs at church? Sanctified you? What? Like, what does that even mean? Like, those are Bible terms, man, okay? And you can explain those and everything like that, but you need to understand specifically who we are engaging around. And then the last thing is this, we do it consistently. Because he was in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Like, I love the Apostle Paul. Like the Apostle Paul's standing in line at the DMV, and somebody's like, man, this line's long. And the Apostle Paul's like, yeah, you know what else is long? Hell, and it's hot. You know Jesus? I mean, like, this guy is just, I mean, it's like Jesus. Like, I mean, it's just, oh, I mean, it's funny that you should say that, because that's a lot like the gospel. And he just goes right to it every single time. And consistently, wherever this guy is at, this guy is causing a ruckus in the New Testament. So much so that later on we see in the book of Ephesians that when he was in Ephesus that he literally caused a riot and people started burning their witchcraft books. Like imagine if the church was so powerful that like strip joints closed down in the town that they're in because it affects the whole economy and everything about it. It's consistently, and you say, Jason, well, how, I don't know, I don't know four languages, I can't do this. Yeah, would you get gas at Huck's? Because there's a whole culture in there. So I see people scratching them tickets for hopes and dreams, baby, which, by the way, should have a separate checkout. I'm not angry about that, but anyway, right? <laughs> Good Lord. Can we get a separate checkout line for lottery tickets while you throw away your money? Okay? Do that over there, all right? I mean, I mean, everywhere we go, moms, dads, when you drop those kids off to school, what culture do you see? When that kid comes in and says, hey, we learned this in school today, what are you doing? Are you challenging that specifically, reasonably, and consistently? And listen, we do this in rhythms in our everyday life. And you can only understand this if you know what your identity is, is that you first and foremost are a missionary. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes, says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, for there is no in-between. That God saves us so he can send us out into culture. We need Christians in culture. We need Christians in influential positions and jobs. We need Christians as teachers. We need Christians as police officers. We need Christians as making music. We need all of these things because we infiltrate this culture and we challenge it with a different set of values and beliefs. But there is something that you should know, that you should not go into this just very naive, thinking that everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows for you. Because what happened to the Apostle Paul? Look at verse 18 and 19. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? The word babbler actually means like a chicken plucking the ground. Right? So it was like a slur. It was a verbal slur, number one. And then others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection, verse 19. And they took hold of him. And brought him to the Areopagus. The word took hold of him literally means they overpowered him. 
So he gets verbal slurs, and he gets physically overpowered and taken to a place. And this is what you need to understand. Anytime that there is proclamation of the gospel, there will be opposition to the gospel. (laughs) If there is anything that Jesus has promised, he has promised that when you stand up with this message, that it will divide. Which, just by the way, the gospel is offensive enough, so we don't need to be. So we as Christians need to do as much as we can in and of ourselves not to be offensive because this message is offensive enough in and of itself. So you should know, listen, especially in 2017, that when you stand up with the idea that Jesus is not dead, but that Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, the whole cosmos now revolves around a throne that is in heaven, that you will get some funny stares and you will get some people that challenge back at you on that. But we understand that the Apostle Paul was so compelled by this. That he was so compelled by this Jesus story and by this resurrection that he had to infiltrate this type of culture. So what does this tell us? What is our big idea? And it's this. The resurrection releases us to cultivate a new kind of culture. This is, what, this is the command that God gives us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, when he says, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. But the charge is to go, therefore, and make disciples. Who are disciples? Disciples are a citizens who live differently because their allegiance is to a kingdom and not to a country. So the resurrection empowers us and releases us to go into culture and to see it and to feel it. And to challenge it, and to challenge it reasonably, to challenge it specifically, and to challenge it on a consistent basis. Because I almost know no more passage that is more relevant for us in 2017 than this. Because look at the very last verse, verse 21. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing Something new. New. That's us. Just yesterday, I showed Pastor Tyler, have you seen the new iPhone that's coming out? The new? The new thing that's on your news feed? The new this, the new that? And some of you are even working for a new you. And the Apostle Paul says, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ directly affects that. Because why? Because Jesus promised that his culture would be different. But not just that it would be different, but that he would be coming back. And in Revelation chapter 21, at the end of the story, something new, he says these words. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the culture that we are longing for. This is the culture of acceptance. This is the culture of love. This is the culture of grace and of truth. And the resurrection empowers us for that. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And I have a few questions for you regarding culture. And then we're going to end specifically a certain way today. But the first question is this. Do you see people the way that Jesus sees people? 
Because I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't seem to be so judgmental about the people who were lost and away from him. But he seems to have the harshest words about the religious people who see people the way that he does not see them. For the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus turns to her and says, Where are those who judge you? Neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. Do you need to ask God to see people the way that Jesus sees them? And then this, what culture are you cultivating in your home? What ideas and values and priorities? Listen, I could find out. I could just ask your kids. I could say, what do mommy and daddy say is important in your house? Oh, the game. When the game's on, we can't talk about anything. Work, work. What what culture are you cultivating in your home? Is it the culture of Christ? Because when I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, all I see is a man who was consumed by the culture that Jesus Christ was creating. Because we believe in this culture that there is nothing so dead that it cannot be resurrected. And that this news launches us and releases us out into the culture to infiltrate this. And one of the ways that Jesus taught us to renew the culture was even the way that we pray. And so in your bulletin, I'm going to have you stand right where you're at. And we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. And in one of the sections of the Lord's Prayer, we have in popper bluff as it is in heaven. And maybe after you come forward for communion today, maybe you need to come forward and pray and put your household name in there. Maybe it needs to be in my household as it is in heaven. Maybe it needs to be in my workplace as it is in heaven. Because listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ releases us to cultivate and renew a new kind of culture. So let us read this prayer together out loud. Repeat these words after me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in pauper bluff as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. Holy Spirit, have your way with us as we come forward and partake in the elements of this new creation, knowing, Jesus, that you died in order to bring everything back to life. And we pray this in your mighty and resurrected name. Amen. Come forward and partake.